This is episode 22 of the Swallier Pride podcast, and today's guest is Walt Fritz. Walt has been a physical therapist since 1985 and has been using manual therapy as his chosen intervention since 1992. After training and working with some of the well-known pioneers of the MFR field, he began to move the traditional myofascial release narrative from its historical past into more modern and accepted narratives of neurological explanation. He teaches his workshops to PTs, OTs, and massage therapists. Since 2013, he has added a class directed towards speech-language pathologists. The Foundations in Myofascial Release Seminar for Neck, Voice, and Swallowing Disorders focuses on evaluation of swallowing, voice, and other disorders seen by the SLP and voice professional. He takes a decidedly different approach to myofascial release and manual therapy, working toward an explanatory narrative that represents current thinking and pain science, as well as adding a feedback-based patient-directed model of explanation. Walt sees patients at his physical therapy practice in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope everyone had an awesome, safe, relaxing, restful holiday season, and everyone's getting geared up for a great 2018. I've been spending the last few days writing out all my professional goals for 2018. I love doing all that stuff. It gets me so excited. And I definitely want to continue to thank EndoHD, uh, endohd.com. They are going to continue to be our sponsor for January. So thank them immensely for continuing to keep this podcast going. And I do want to thank everyone that has contributed to our Patreon account. It's a crowdfunding site to help keep the ads on this podcast to a minimum. So I want to thank everyone that has donated so far. Appreciate it so much. And if you do find value in this podcast, if you do find it helpful for you and your career and your patients, you can donate at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com forward slash swallow your pride. And in this episode, we talk with Walt Fritz. He's a physical therapist, but he does provide a CEU course for SLPs. And I just want to disclose that I have no financial disclosures to disclose about this. I'm just genuinely interested in in hearing what he has to say. So I have nothing to disclose about mentioning his courses in this episode. Hello, Walt. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Thanks for having me here. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to have you on. So we'll tell everyone a little bit about you first. I know you're a PT by trade. I'll let you fill everyone else in, but... um. It's so funny that kind of the more experienced I get in this field, the more I realize how much we need to learn from others, from other colleagues. You know, we learn from doctors, we learn from nurses, and probably in the last year or two, I've learned so much from PTs about swallowing. And I think it's just because, you know, you guys have such an extensive knowledge base of muscles and muscle physiology in the body, and it's, you know, we don't know a ton. You know, our course is pretty limited in, in grad school, and we just learn very little. So, you know, I love now being able to expand my knowledge base and learning a lot more about muscles. And I'm glad you guys have, have joined our field and <laughs> helped yeah. to teach us a little. So, yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I'm a physical therapist, as you said, since 1985 and have been doing manual therapy intervention and as my primary modality and the brand is myofascial release, though I use a very generic version of it. And I've been using that since I started my training in 1992. And you have used it in private practice as my private or primary modality since about 2000. I sort of backdoored my way into your profession, if you will, from receiving referrals from speech pathologists in the Rochester, New York area, which is where my clinic is, who took some myofascial release training and thought it could be helpful, but maybe didn't have the feeling that they had enough skill or experience to, to work with it with their patients, which was always great from a business model. But it also gave me then some experience with your clientele, your diagnoses, et cetera. I'm really careful to tell people that I know the line between our professions. I'm a physical therapist. I don't know what you know. I don't have the scope of practice and licensing, et cetera. But I do think there's some interesting bridges we can we can cross. And that's um, that's kind of what I do in terms of both my practice here as well as the workshops that I teach around the country. I try and build that bridge with just learning about manual therapy, exchanging ideas on manual therapeutic intervention for swallowing, for voice, for all sorts of head and neck related issues. It's been a lot of fun. I've been working in the speech pathology continuing that field since 2013, and it's just grown and grown in a really nice way. Yeah, yeah. I know um, one of the previous episodes, I was talking with my friend Hillary Cooper, who I, I really respect her, and she had said one of her kind of game-changing presentations that she heard was about myofascial release. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, it's it's I love that we're learning more and more from PTs. And it was kind of about the same time that you reached out to me and come to find out we live 45 minutes from each other. So exactly, <laughs> I, right. I was excited to to meet you. And I, you know, went to your office and sat down with you. And I was like, yeah, we need to we need to learn more about this. So yeah. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Absolutely. Walt. You know, I use my the the words myofascial release are a part of what I do because it's what I was trained in from 1992. I, I've changed that model considerably. I still use myofascial release to describe my work, although it represents more of a visual style of engagement that people associate with myofascial release versus the belief that somehow I can selectively and singularly target fascia under the skin to the exclusion of all else, both for evaluation for labeling something as a fascial problem versus anything else, as well as thinking that I can selectively target fascia with intervention. I kind of take hits from people in my own PT community as well as the massage therapy community because I don't believe it's all about the fascia and they think maybe I should drop the words myofascial release, but I still think it has value. It really is very representative of what I do with my hands. It's a it's an identifiable brand, if you will, and I would prefer to call what I do simple manual therapy, but honestly, it doesn't sell as well, right? How do you sell something that has no... Yeah, yeah. It's not a sexy term, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we can go there, <laughs> but I I do think it has brand recognition value. You know, there's lit we're talking about literature, scientific literature, of course, today. There's a bit of scientific literature talking about myofascial release with swallowing, with dys dysphonia, with globus, etc. There's a bigger well of of literature talking about manual therapy in terms of dysphagia. Unfortunately, most of the papers really don't define, they don't describe, they don't list a protocol, they don't tell the interaction style, they simply call it manual therapy, which is a bit misleading, or at least it, it, it's vague for people because you can call a lot of different things manual therapy 
and a lot of people call a lot of different things myofascial release. So that's one of the first things I teach in my workshop is trying to define my brand, so to speak. Okay. So let me let me back you up. Yeah. What is fascia? Fascia is connective tissue. All right. right? Thank you. Fascia and connective tissue could be looked at as the same thing, different phrases. In the historical narrative of myofascial release, some people distinguish superficial fascia to deep fascia. I learned a model where fascia is fascia. You interact with it everywhere in the body. It's a, it's almost, okay, so I'm going to sound a little cynical here. It's a, it's a bit of an apologist approach um, because fascia transcends the origin insertions of muscles throughout the body. Three-dimensional problems in the body are often explained that, well, that's because the fascia reaches beyond a muscle. So in its simplest form, fascia is connective tissue. It supports us and it divides a bit too. All right. Thank you. You're Just wanted to get that clarification. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? I don't know. I hope I let you get a few words in here because I can be pretty chatty. But You're fine. You're fine. I'll cut you off whenever, whenever I need to. Yeah, you, you can do that. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I would love to take a look at some of the literature that I use to to validate the, the class, the workshop that I teach, not only the yeah. workshop for speech pathologists, but some of the other ones as well. I sent you some of this information so you're fully aware of it, um, as well as a couple new papers that I came across since I sent you that. Yep. And all of these will be in the show notes. So www.swallowyourpridepodcast.com and just click on this episode and you will receive Walt's outline with all of the wonderful references that he'll be discussing today. And we also have bit.ly links for every episode now. So you can go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-Y-P podcast and the three digit episode number. So for this one, it would be B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-Y-P podcast 022. And also don't forget that you can text in to get the show notes. You can text S-Y-P 022 to the number 44222. That's so many twos today. But a few different ways to get all the notes and Walt left a great outline with tons of references for you guys. So in some of the papers that I presented, I'm going to go with the least plausible first because I actually think it's kind of fun. There's a paper that we talked that I mentioned here about using elastic kinesio tape for dysphagia. It's a it's not a great article. It's a paper published article. It's very vague in terms of its description. But what they talk about is using kinesio tape in, in a, in a, um, on both sides of the, of the neck region to improve symptoms of dysphagia and globus. And again, it, it, it suffers some really fatal errors, but I love the fact that people are sort of reaching beyond the normal ways that we, we intervene to, to try some of these novel therapeutic interventions. The, 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 one of the reasons I love that paper, at least the idea behind the paper, is so much of what I, believe and teach about the effect of manual therapy, you can, you can simply start at the skin. When it comes to engaging the skin in a stretch, you can use a mechanoreceptor approach for a fair feedback to the brain for central processing with downregulation of change. You could use cutaneous nerve tunnel syndromes to explain change. And that's what I do in my workshops. And this may be a little vague the way I'm saying it, but applying a simple piece of elastic tape to the skin we know it's affecting skin. Everything else beneath the skin is conjecture. But yet people have no problem with going to that conjecture on a constant basis, whether it's talking about muscle tension or trigger points or scar tissue or radiation fibrosis, all sorts of things that people talk about beneath the skin, so to speak, in terms of our effect. The, the simple fact that we're touching people on their skin 
seems to at least be partially responsible for some of those changes. So I'm not going to overstate what that paper says, but I just love its novelness. All right. Yeah. 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 And I know there's a lot of, that's a hot topic in our field because some people kind of swear by it and some people think there's no way that that can have any scientific basis. So right. yeah, yeah, it's interesting to hear your take on that. Right. And, you know, part of the introduction in my workshops is talking about, well, what is happening when we touch people with manual therapy? And we sort of break down some of that, those historical fascial views or even the historical muscle views and kind of build a new model starting from the skin down using concepts of the central nervous system having a bigger influence than the tissue-specific models that so many manual therapists have been taught. In the Baisakia paper, which shows that specifically myofascial release is an effective intervention for globus, the, the paper itself, or at least the version that I have, um, suffers from some language challenges in terms of the interpretation of it. But again, anytime I can see somebody mentioning my brand, my modality, not necessarily the way I teach it or believe it, but using myofascial release for globus, I, I'm certainly going to talk about that. They do work from that old historical narrative. And when I talk about that, I say that a lot. The historical narrative of myofascial release believes that somehow we can singularly and selectively target fascia as the problem and that with our hands, we can somehow target fascia that we're releasing, so to speak, even though one of the most respected people in the fascia research field, a German rolfer by the name of Robert Schlepp, in one of his papers has shown that the pressures needed to deform or change fascia are just so far above what any manual therapist uses or at least should use that it's impossible for fascia to change the way the vast majority of fascial therapists believe it does. But yet people just keep saying the same thing over and over again, how we're releasing fascia. I like to think is the word release is more of a metaphor for what happens with change in the body instead of it being an actual physiological function or action that takes place in the body. So tell me as a, you know, as a physical therapist, you're getting referrals from speech language pathologists and they come to you with a diagnosis of globus. What does that, what does globus mean to you? Pressure in the throat. Okay. The patient who comes in and says, it feels like someone's got a thumb on my neck, on my throat the entire time. All right. Yep. Do, do they usually come with imaging of the swallow or is it just more of a patient perception feeling? Well, a lot of my referrals come from ENTs and or speech pathologists who've already been okay. diagnosed. They've already done the swallow study, et cetera. I, may, I typically don't get the images. I typically will get the reports, okay, so on the referral. Gotcha. Okay, sounds good. All right, I'm going to stop you right there a second, Walt. If you are interested in a true high-definition fees endoscopy system, our December sponsor is EndoHD. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact, www.ndohd.com forward slash contact. And EndoHD is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs, by SLPs, for conducting fees studies. EndoHD can be a cased portable system as well as a carded system depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees program. Contact them today at www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information. All right, well, so who's next here? So in the Chris Gunas article, they took a look at a multidisciplinary approach, PT and speech pathology, for early intervention during radiation head neck cancer. 
to me, this was an interesting one because knowing less about your field and knowing more from the perspective of physical therapy and manual therapy, coming in so early with intervention when there's, we're going to use the general description of scarring or the potential for scarring, which happens, as you know, with the radiation, that 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 was that was an interesting one for me. It was one that sort of opened my, a door to say, gosh, it's interesting that we can work that early with somebody receiving that sort of therapy. And they certainly found with a more general manual therapy approach applied by both the speech pass as well as the PTs that they saw a significant change in range of motion of the cervical spine, hyoid pliability, and improvements in the thyrohyoid space. It actually doesn't mention swallowing as one of the, the targeted measurements, but they talk about it for future, for future study. But what I think was really fascinating about, to me about this particular Chris Kuna study is they actually used a protocol. They talked about exactly what they did, when they did it, which is so unusual in these papers. And not just for swallowing, but manual therapeutic papers in general, they tend to just come out as really vague manual therapy or saying myofascial release versus saying, here's what we did and how we did it and why we did it. And I really respect that paper a lot. They based their protocol partially on Jacob Lieberman's manual therapy program for muscle tension dysphonia, in part because of the, the huge overlap between the musculature and the anatomy that's, that's so inherent for dysphonia as well as dysphagia. They thought that that sort of approach was justified. You mentioned earlier, PTs know so much about muscles. It's, in, it's fascinating because from my approach, the way I was taught myofascial release and the way I continue to teach it, muscles are... Individual muscles are almost secondary in terms of, yeah, I need to know my anatomy because number one, it's important. Number two, people are busting your chops and testing you all the time, right? But the realization that it's, it's the skin down, it's the brain down, it's, the, it might be the muscle, the connective tissue, the nervous tissue, the autonomics, so many things beyond that origin and insertion of an individual muscle that could be maybe even more important than that muscle. And in terms of the way I work from a myofascial release perspective, that was always really drummed into us that the muscles don't matter. It's about the fascia. And now I don't necessarily believe that. But to me, it's like we're treating the person versus a muscle. Everything below the skin is a bit of a guess. Even from an anatomical perspective, I'm going to divert off for a second. When I teach evaluation, when I teach treatment, I almost ask therapists not to forget the anatomy but at least not let it mislead you. Because if I touch an area of your neck that is hard cartilage, that we know is hard cartilage, you might say, well, gee, that, that can't be important, but it's just the cartilage or just a bone, et cetera. But yet if when I touch that area and I get replication of your symptoms, there's something about the engagement with that bony or cartilage structure that's creating a dynamic in the patient's nervous system that could be correlated to the, to the difficulty swallowing. So. The anatomy, yeah, it's, it's important that we know it, especially from a safety perspective. But I think the anatomy can also like distract you a bit or mislead you a bit. So yeah, muscle's important, but maybe not as much as some people believe. And even the concept of muscle tension, what is that? What drive, what drives it? What changes it? We can measure it with surface or indwelling EMG, but is it really the primary cause or is it just something we're measuring along the way? And I think it's kind of the latter. In that Chris Kunis paper, they talk about muscle tension dysphonia and muscle tension dysphagia being parallel ways to look at things because of that, the overlap between the muscle and the anatomy. 
and that sort of segues easily into Christina Kang's paper from, I think it was from this year or last year, speaking about muscle tension dysphagia. And she does a good job of, of describing that and for your field, how that's really appropriate looking at it is, I don't want to say a new diagnosis or a new description, but at least a, a novel way to look at it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I, I want to go back a little bit and and just, you know, expanding on just looking at the muscles, you know, I, like you said, it's, it's so important for us to know the anatomy and to know the muscles, but sometimes we just have to take a step back and look at the patient as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially for me, I do, you know, swallow studies all day. So that's what I look at is the muscles and, and, you know, what's moving, what's not moving. But then if you take a step back and talk to the patient, you know, patient perception is a huge piece to this puzzle. And I know some people say we have to just look objectively at the physiology and that's what we have to treat. But there is something to be said about the patient's perception of what they're feeling and how they're improving as well. Yeah, yeah. And and one of my, and I'm going to segue off a little bit from the papers, one of the big things, the way I believe this work should work, and I believe all manual therapeutic inter interventions should, should work, is honoring the evidence-based model, right? But the evidence-based model is so often skewed. Okay, so it's the three legs, three legs of the stool. It's the evidence. It's our experience. But it's the patient preference. It's the patient experience. And I think that that third leg, the patient experience, is so often ignored. And, and, Absolutely. and the, the, the published research is always given first priority. And I know there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but the way the model was created, it's equal weighting. I think that when I touch somebody for manual therapeutic intervention, whether it's evaluation and treatment, their response in terms of what they're feeling is vital. But a piece that's missing, I think, from a lot of manual therapy is allowing their experience to drive the treatment versus our training, our protocol, and I'm going to call it an ego-based approach, where I know this work, I've got tons of experience, I know the protocol, et cetera, this is how we do it. There's almost, there's very little input in manual, many manual therapeutic interventions from the patient, and I think that's a huge missing piece. I, my approach and my beliefs is to really honor that aspect of the third leg, so much so that if I feel something, quote unquote, feel something, right, that whether it's muscle tension or whatever you want to call it, if my patient doesn't validate it as a relevant aspect of their, the, the experience, the dysphagia or whatever we're treating, then I may not even, I may not even address that. It's, it's taking that third leg and giving it full weight. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's an awesome perspective. <laughs> Okay. Finally, in the Gugliotti paper, that's um, coming from a physical therapy perspective for um, manual therapy, post-neck dissection surgery. Again, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating was that they, 26 days post-op, which is really pushing the envelope when it comes to the belief that we need to let the scar tissue heal, et cetera. And, you, and I still kind of warn therapists off to, you know what, you might want to wait six to eight weeks to work in the area of scar tissue. Why Why is that, Walt? Just because of the fragility of the tissue. It's just okay. some of that, the, It's maybe it goes back to PT school back in the 80s, right? Scar tissue is fragile until it heals down and you don't want to intervene on it too early for fear of, of breaking it open. Right? Gotcha. I a lot of the information on scar adhesion, et cetera, that therapists have been taught that we can do with manual therapy, a lot of it has been shown not to actually be accurate. We can't change it from a you know what you see through a microscope perspective. It doesn't change it once it's it's mature. 
there are there's a little bit of evidence out there to say really early intervention on on scar and adhesions can reduce the the severity of it but not to the extent that most PTs and massage therapists believe that they're quote unquote releasing scar tissue. The change in a person's symptoms is a far different thing than us histologically changing what that scar tissue or that adhesion looks like under a microscope. But in, in Gugliotti's paper, again, I, I, I love the fact that they're, they're doing this work, manual therapy, post-neck dissection surgery so early, but I also like that he's referencing the treatment was directed by continuous patient feedback and you know confirmation bias i'm cherry picking i'm going to the evidence that supports my bias but that paper really supports my bias that having that continuous feedback from the patient to drive treatment is crucial versus coming from that other perspective what of here's the protocol shut up and just take it and i know right. we don't say that as therapists but there is that aspect with you know here's what we have to do we need to carve this problem out of your system and this may hurt so bite on the stick while I carve it out of you and hopefully speech paths aren't working to that degree although okay do I want to get myself in trouble here sometimes <laughs> some do yeah some do yeah yeah sometimes when I see marineal circumlingeal treatment it's pretty darn aggressive I'm sure it's effective or it wouldn't be out there right I think there's a lot of different ways to to do our work if you're coming from a manual therapeutic perspective and I think coming at it from a gentler perspective, if that's what the patient expects and hopes will help and can tolerate, might have a greater efficacy. Yeah. Going, Yeah, one more thing, going back to, to patient expectation, if my patient comes in and expects me to work aggressively, expects me to beat the heck out of them, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture a little bit farther into their expectation to meet what they think will be most effective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for patients' rights and and letting the patient drive the treatment. I think that's a huge, a great way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of it on those papers. You right. you had asked me about game changers. Yeah, yeah. Do you want do you want to go in with some stuff of yours first? I've been talking a lot. Yeah, no, you're fine. So I'm really curious to hear more about your workshops and, and what exactly you teach speech pathologists at, at your workshops now that we've covered the kind of the research behind manual therapy and, and what exactly are you doing with, with teaching speech pathologists how to do this work? So in the workshops, we start with a little bit of background on myofascial release on manual therapy. We start, as I mentioned earlier, breaking down some of the old hyster his hysterical, yeah, maybe, <laughs> historical beliefs on what manual therapy is doing and try and build a new model in terms of skin down, nervous system down, top-down approaches versus bottom-up approaches. We talk about evaluation and you know honoring all the evaluations that, that speech pathologists use and need to use, but also adding a touch-based evaluation. The inter and intra-rater reliability through a palpation when it comes to what it is we think we're feeling is really poor and there's a couple papers that I reference in my class from the speech pathology field that really talk about that even in areas of, of the, the musculature of the neck, the inter and intra-rated reliability is really not very good. So it, it is a subjective tool, but I, I use palpation as my primary driver for evaluation, not to identify what we think it is, but to start the patient-directed approach in terms of, yeah, whatever you just touched or poked on or pulled or stretched, 
that's replicating, that's connecting with my symptom of the swallowing issue of I can't, that's my, I can't swallow my vitamin C pill feeling or whatever that might be, right? That's the driver for treatment. And that's probably the one thing that I, that I teach continuously throughout this two day workshop is, yep, we're going to do a lot of different things with our hands, but without that patient feedback that you just connected to something familiar, it's, it's kind of meaningless. We spend time in the workshop starting at the diaphragm region for breast support. We, we start in the diaphragm region because it's a really good way for me to introduce this patient-directed feel. Without going into the details of it, we, I call what it, we're looking for frozen chicken. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a funny story as why, but instead of labeling it as scar or trigger point or fascia restriction or muscle tension, let's give it a generic name and just call it frozen chicken. We're seeking frozen chicken whenever we evaluate somebody and we're poking at it, we're, we're snagging it to try to replicate something of the patient's experience and that drives treatment. We work our way then up through the sternal region, in through, we spend a lot of time in the hyoid region, in the retrolaryngeal region with some pretty interesting engagements anterior to the transverse processes, posterior to the thyroid cartilage, starting to slowly move into that space and, and simply do evaluative touch to see if I can connect with symptoms. And then we kind of keep going up into the mouth. We do a lot of tongue work, jaw, TMJ, Trismus work. It's, it's pretty far reaching. I, I would love it to be four days instead of two days, but you know, time and finances dictate that a two day workshops works really well. I, I, one of the things that I, I'm very, I'm proud of is we, I formed a follow up group on Facebook for people who've taken my workshop where I've downloaded or uploaded whatever that will be video of every single sequence we do in the workshop that therapists can go back to and review and refresh anytime they want for no charge. You know, a two day workshop, you, you're full by the end of day two. You just, yeah. It's time to go and you forget what somebody said and how did we do that? So I think that's it without getting too silly. I think it's a really nice aspect of, of my workshop and my approach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime, you know, CEU providers can provide additional support beyond the course. I know there's always so many extra questions or it's like, once you finally get that patient in front of you, oh crap, I think I learned something at that course that I really could use here. So yeah, that, right. that's excellent. Yeah. So the workshop itself is a tremendous amount of hands-on, one-on-one experience, one-on-one experience with each other, learning the handholds, learning the pressures, and a lot of supervision for myself and the, the TAs that I, that I bring with me. Cool. Okay. So it's safe to say that this course is never going to be online? No. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> as, aspects of it might be, and I have online trainings not through MedBridge Education, but MedBridge Massage. I, I think it's possible with some sort of an experience in manual therapy to get some of the concepts. I think one-on-one, -on -one, you know, in-person training is is the best, but yet, you know, I, I do think there are other ways to approach the work. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally split down the middle. There are some courses that I love to get online, you know, through, I love the MedBridge portal, but then there's also some courses that you, yeah, you just got to get your dang hands on the person. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. 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 So um, let's go back and talk about palpation a little bit. You know, I think that's so interesting the way that you use it because it's, it is a hot topic in our field because some people still are using it to diagnose dysphagia, essentially, you know, saying, oh, there's minimal laryngeal elevation, non-palpation. And, and we have studies that show there's a huge range of normal and you 
cannot say that basically, but you can say that there was laryngeal elevation or there was not. You can say if it's absent or present, but on the other hand, even if it's present, it still may not have triggered the swallow. So, you know, so it's interesting to hear you use it in, in a different light. And, and then if you look at the bell curve of, of muscle tension, of tone, I see it all the time throughout the body. There's people who are, they're like a wooden barrel when you palpate them. And there's other people who are like gush balls. They're super <laughs> soft, right? But, and then there's everybody in between, which represents the bell curve of normal. But yet then we're superimposing the thought that tension is an abnormal aspect. And I, I think by itself, the palpation of, of tone, tightness, tension, however we want to term that, I don't think it's quite enough. That's why I think we've got to turn back into, okay, I found this area of tension, patient. What do you feel? Do you feel a replication of your symptom or in some bizarre way, sometimes when you touch or poke at that tension area, it actually lessens the symptom, which completely belies logic because you think you'd be triggering it versus down-regulating it. But it, it, that's what we're looking for. Any t I look for is any type of, of patient acknowledgement. I, I am a good palpator, right? I yeah. trust what I feel, <laughs> but I also trust it less than I used to because I don't believe the body works the way I was taught in the myofascial release training, that that fascial restriction is the problem. To me, that, that tightness is not a problem unless you tell me, yeah, you just touched it. You replicated it. All right. Super interesting. You know, you asked me for what's a paper that was my game changer. In typical Walt Fritz fashion, <laughs> um, I, I can't just pick one. So I had to pick two. And I'm going to tell you why I picked those two. All right. Just to make your life difficult. No. You're, um, you're not the only one that's made my life difficult. I don't know that anyone's just chosen one. So. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, there's two papers and they have nothing to do with with dysphagia. They have nothing to do with speech pathology. They almost have nothing to do with manual therapy in general. But the reason they're game changers is they, they were two pivotal papers that caused me to change the way I look at the body when I work with it. Love One it. of yep. them was a paper from 1992 by a, a researcher with the last name of Benell. And what he looked at was scoliosis. Okay, Scoliosis is a curvature of the spine, which affects 2% of the population. Now, in my MFR training, in my physical therapy training, posture is such a, a key marker for dysfunction or predicting dysfunction. If someone has poor posture, whether it's forward head or rotated head, right? Any kind of, of asymmetry, we, we, sh we use that as a marker for evaluation to drive our treatment. If they have a high shoulder, we'll get in there and lower the shoulder and to reduce the pain in their neck maybe. If they have a rotated spine, we need to try and get in there, whether it was through more abrupt, abrupt interventions like mobilization or manipulation or soft tissue work. And I learned, I was a really good evaluator of postural dysfunction and driving treatment from that, from that skeletal asymmetry. Well, Benell took a look at a thousand skeletally mature high school students to measure their spine. What he wanted to know was not who who hit the threshold for scoliosis, which is 2% of the population if the curve is 10 degrees or more, he wanted to know the whole population. What kind of curve did they have at all? And he found that 98.4% of them had a, had a spinal curve to some degree, which was really fascinating because with spinal curves come rotation of the spine, what comes high shoulder, low shoulder, head side bending, rotation of the cervical spine, all sorts of wonkiness that... I've been trying to quote unquote fix every day 
And it could be a problem, but it basically put me in my place a little bit, realizing that maybe I was trying to fix things or correct things that had nothing to do with the problem, right? If 98.4% of people have a spinal rotation and the subsequent things that go with it from mild to wild, was it always the problem? Okay. I talked about it. I talk about it in the workshop where you, when we start palpating the anterior cervical region, we're looking for the, the anterior transverse processes, putting our fingers on that. And you can feel an unlevel landscape when the person's laying on the table in front of you. It might be problematic. It might be part of the swallowing issue or it could just be their normal, right? So yeah. that was a big, it's something that reframed the way I look at people from an evaluative standpoint as well as a treatment standpoint. Number two. Uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to stop okay, you there. So just to tie that back into speech pathology, that's a yeah. huge thing that's going on in our field right now is there's a lot of researchers that are doing some really cool work with what is normal swallowing. Yeah. So I, there's some patients, this is the way that they've presented for so many years and we're trying to quote unquote fix it. Right. You know, and, and so now we're starting to learn more and more. There is such a wide range of normal and yeah, I mean, we, we don't have to fix everything. <laughs> it, it can be even something as simple as if the cervical spine is rotated due to that scoliotic curve or whether it's scoliotic or subscoliotic, right? And 98.4% of us have a curve to some degree, right? If you've got rotation of the cervical spine, it's going to change the, the tension and relaxation, the overall patterns that in the cervical spine, if, or if the head is following a different plane than that spinal curve, you're going to get increased tension on one side of the hyoid, more relaxation on the other, and a relative malpositioning of the hyoid that you may target as, as part of the problem. And it might be, but it also could be normal for this person. So yeah. I, I still want to look at all that stuff. I'm still going to check symmetry, but I'm going to, I'm going to use that third leg of the stool a lot more and ask the patient, when I poke at this thing that I think is important because I feel it's tight, what do you feel, right? Let them drive yeah. the process. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That was a, that was a great one, Walt. So what was number two? Okay, so number two um, was from a, a 2010 article in the Journal of Physical Therapy. And what the researchers or what the, the writers were looking at was, um, the name of the article is Increasing Muscle Extensibility, a Matter of Increasing Length or Modifying Sensation. So what they're basically looking at is, is it tissue specific? It is a bottom up approach, or is it a matter of modifying sensation, top down approach from a brain perspective, from a central nervous system perspective? And again, this has nothing to do with speech pathology per se. It has little to do with manual therapy per, per se, but I love, I love the, the, the more brain centered, the central nervous system approach that they take in this article. And briefly, they take a look at muscle stretching. When we stretch, we get more flexible. Right. They use hamstrings as their example because I think it's most definable as when you go to the end range of hamstring flexibility, there's a negative feeling. You might call it pain. You might call it grumpiness, whatever that feeling is. But there's a negative sensation that most people can identify with. And what the researchers did was they looked at all the traditional ways that we as health professionals or fitness professionals, whoever we are, the way we explain, well, why is it that when we stretch, we get longer? or we get more flexible. And I look back at my historical narrative that I was taught in PT school of, of improving muscle extensibility, right? The opposite of contractibility, Re improving muscle extensibility. They, they deconstructed that per se, and they said, yeah, that's true, but the research shows that it's only effective for about one hour. 
one hour after stretching, the muscle actually physically gets more extensible, but everything goes back to normal. And they took a look at other, a couple other historical models of why we get more flexible. None of them really seemed to, to, to prove that that's why over time we get more flexible. So the, the researchers basically put forth an alternative perspective that over time, our brain, our central nervous system, when you go to end range and you feel that negative feeling, that's registered as a negative feeling that the brain stops you. It's a safety warning, right? I'm not going to let you go there because you might hurt yourself. But over time, you prove to your central nervous system in your brain that it's safe to go there. You're modifying sensation. And the central nervous system, the brain through the central nervous system essentially lets you go a little bit further each time or over time, allowing greater flexibility. Every muscle, every body has a final endpoint where you're not going to go beyond it. But I, I found that tissue, that, that paper exceedingly informative and it redirected a lot of the things that I teach and believe. And it basically, yep, it's, it's confirmation bias. It, it confirmed what I believe and wanted to believe that it could be more about central nervous system creating some of these changes or allowing these changes versus the traditional manual therapy view that you know what no i'm 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 changing things right here with my fingers with my hands at the tissue level versus the brain level so those are my two big game changers and i really do think they apply to all of our fields when we do manual therapy absolutely yeah yeah and i and i think that's kind of a, another thing in our field right now is a lot of people are looking for, you know, instant gratification. I want to see instantly that this treatment is changing the physiology right now, but sometimes things aren't instantaneous. Right. Sometimes we have to do them over, you know, weeks or months to get that rehabilitative effect. Right. So, well, and even when we touch in that instant and we make change or we, ex the patient experiences change, the, our, our attempts to explain why are this, there's still, it's still in its infancy, right? We say, oh, you changed muscle tension. Well, but how and why? How did that occur, right? Was, was your effect, you're poking at that muscle, did that by itself reduce the tension? Or was it a much more complex brain centered central nervous system loop that created the alteration in that tone from higher centers? And to some people, it's like, I don't care as long as it works. But I do think it's important how it works, because if you know how it works, it can direct you to maybe to be more specific in the future and how we intervene. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's great. Well, final thoughts, anything else you'd like to add? No, I just, I, well, I, of course there's final thoughts because I, I never know when to shut up. But <laughs> the, the last four years I've been teaching my foundations of mouthwash release seminar for neck voice and swallowing disorders. Boy, that's a mouthful, right? Since 2013. It and it's... I, I love how much I learn from you when I teach, right? It's primarily speech paths who are in that workshop. I don't pretend to be a speech path, I, right? But it's about building bridges and the bridges go both ways. I learn so much from you to, to pour back into future workshops as well as conversations like this. And it's been a lot of fun for me and I hope it continues. Yeah, yeah. So where can people find out more about, about this course? Well, the website, uh, my website, which is foundationsinmfr.com, it talks about what's, what's, what we do in the workshop, right? It talks about the, I, I list the research that I use to support my work, as well as the class locations. And if pe people are interested in hosting a workshop in the future, how to get in touch with me, with me and what that entails. And I'm excited because I got a lot of classes around the country. We're going to Australia in February to teach three workshops. I'm going to Hong Kong in, 
August to teach a couple of workshops. It's really getting me, it, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the travel cool. and I enjoy meeting new people. Yeah. So that's how you find out about Get it. Get you out of the Rochester snow in the middle of winter. That sounds exactly. great to me. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Any other, any other shameless plugs you got here, Walt? You know, one more thing that people, in addition to the website, and there's a blog attached to it, some interesting interviews I've done with some people in the manual therapy field as well as the speech pathology field. But I also have a YouTube channel like everybody else. The YouTube channel has some instructional videos. But what, I, what I'm really proud of is I put together a separate channel for self-treatment, for self-treatment of almost all the things that we teach in the, the neck, voice, and swallowing workshop where I go through with a, with a demo patient how, how I can get my patient to try and replicate some of the things that we did in the therapy setting so they can continue the work at home. They're shareable with your patients or they're shareable with yourself because I think by themselves they can give you an idea of, of maybe how my approach is different and my language is different. I use a very different model of patient interview, um, both for the evaluation as well as during treatment and whether it's treatment or self-treatment. And those videos really kind of reinforce that. And I think they've been a real, real asset to the workshop as well. Yeah. All right. And I know, where else can people find you? I know you're on Facebook. Yeah, I'm pretty active on Facebook. Walt Fritz PT, Foundations of Mouthwash Release Seminars. A little bit on LinkedIn, a little bit on Instagram, et cetera. But Facebook is probably my primary social media tool. I have a newsletter that I send out every month. And I get a lot of speech pass subscribing to that. Probably just to figure out where I'm going to be in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Walt. This was great. I hope a lot of SLPs, you know, I just want to expand everyone's minds. You know, we can learn so much from each other. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening. Coming soon from Speech Science, Talking With Tech. With me, Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet. What are we going to be talking about? Stop feeling so daunted by technology. Push the button. You're not going to break it. Help people start implementing. Maybe listen to our podcast and go, well, I could try that tomorrow. Conversations with the thought leaders behind all this. I'd also love to hear success stories. If it's working for you, then maybe it could work for somebody else. Go to tech.speechscience.org, subscribe to our podcast, and check that site for exclusive content that you won't see anywhere else. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Ivan Campos, Lucas Stuber, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication?